Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, I think there's some things that God has been putting on my heart over the last few months that are going to help us in the going. And so we're going to plug back into Joshua and meet another inspiring um, character, Caleb. Uh, I don't know if you've read this part of Joshua yet. We're going to read it together in a minute. But when I read the story of Caleb, I think, wow, Caleb is a pioneer. What a guy. And um, when I looked at what is a pioneer, uh, I read some things like this. A pioneer is the first to go and explore an area. Um, A pioneer takes the initiative. A pioneer breaks new ground. A trailblazer. A pioneer opens the way up for others to follow and and take hold of that ground. And um, do you know, I believe in Market Harbour, we are pioneers When Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and I'm with you always, he was giving us a commission to go and pioneer in his kingdom. We often say, and Phil particularly uses the phrase that we're here, to take the name of Jesus to Market Harbour and beyond, knowing that God is with us and we're fully equipped with all we need. We're pioneers in Market Harbour. We are blazing a trail for others to follow to see and experience and know the power and the love and the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. That's who we are. And what we're going to hear from the story of Caleb today are some things that are going to help us in our pioneering. Um, So, Caleb, a bit of a background to the story. Benj did a great job of this last week. I don't want to repeat it all. If you missed it, have a listen back to his podcast. It's fab. But Caleb, it is right, yes, Benj, absolutely. But Caleb was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent out to check out the promised land before they even got there, before they were even going in. And uh, Joshua and Caleb went in with the other 10 guys. Wow, what a land. Did you see the size of the grapes? What about the pomegranates and the figs? It was awesome. It was fertile. It was blessed. It was a wonderful land. Oh, and yes, there were giants there and people living in big, walled, tall cities. But it was the promised land. And God had promised he was going to give that land to his people. It was theirs. But Caleb and Joshua are the only people to come back and say, this is a good thing. We read in Numbers 13, Caleb says this to Moses and the people, let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the people were afraid. Uh, They didn't believe God. And so God told them, well, you won't go in now for 40 years. But this is what God said to Moses and promised Caleb at that time, in Numbers, 20, uh, Numbers 14, 24, God says this, My servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him in to the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Forty years later, after wandering around in the wilderness, the entire generation, other than Caleb and Joshua had died there. But now Joshua had led Israel into the promised land and they needed to go in and conquer it. And we're going to pick up the story and read together in Joshua 14. So if you want to check that out in your Bibles, that'd be great. If you're using one of our guest Bibles, it's page 138. We're going to read a few verses together and pick up the story uh, of Caleb there. 
it's also on the screen. Oh, it will be on the screen in a moment. So Caleb, uh, Joshua, chapter 14, verse 6. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made me this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I'm 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron, which was a city and a region in the hill country, to him as a portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. That's a wonderful um, account, and I'm so glad it's included in the Bible for us. Um, so there are some things in this story that are going to really help us. Um, can we have a look at the next slide? I want to know if anyone knows what these things on the screen are. Um, it looks like there's a big piece of rock there and some ropes. Um, anyone know what those metal things are that are driven into the rock. No, I didn't know either. I had to look it up. But this was the picture that was in my mind. So um, those metal things driven into the rock are called pitons. And this is what mountaineers use. They, they use them to, to, um, to push them hard deep into the rock, to use ropes on like there to pull themselves up over a rock or to use as a foothold they're going to help them uh, in their climb. They're going to assist them in their journey. They're going to enable them to make progress and they're going to stop them from falling. And that's what I believe we have in Caleb's testimony. We have these pythons that are here for us to take hold of, to catch our weight, to stop us from falling and to help us make progress as we pioneer in the kingdom of God in Market Harbour and beyond. So I just want to pray right now that as we look at these, we will know the Holy Spirit, um, really driving them deep into us. Let's just pray together.
Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. I thank you for giving us Caleb's testimony. And I just want to ask right now, as we look at these um, things, that you will help us to take a really deep hold of the truths, the pythons in this story, so that we are thoroughly equipped. Lord, you know the mission you've given us. You know the call you've given us. And you know the needs of our families, our streets, our town, and our nation. So we just ask for your help this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So our first piton is this. Remember what the Lord promised. Verse 6 to 9. You know, 45 years later, Caleb could still remember what God said. He knew who had said it. And he knew that God was fully trustworthy and fully powerful to do what he said. 45 years later. Um, You know, when we read the word, there are thousands of promises in the word of God, thousands of truths. They don't all start with, I promise you this. But when God speaks, it is his promise. His word is his promise. And he is faithful and powerful to um, perform everything that he says. What he says will be. And um, it's really important that we grasp hold of this one. I think this is the first and most essential Peton, we need to have a foothold in. We need to grab a clear hold of this. We need to remember what the Lord has said. Um, For pioneers, they really need to look where they're going. But for us, we need to hear what the Lord has said. And that needs to be in our field of vision. That needs to be where we're heading for. That needs to be what we're looking at as we move forward in God's purpose. It needs to be right in the forefront of our minds. You know, there are lots of ways in which we hear what the Lord says. We read it in the Bible. We might um, hear someone speak, uh, bring a word, bring a prophetic word, uh, preach, and we know that, oh, that's the word of God to me. This is really what the Lord is saying to me and saying now. There are prophetic words that have been brought to us personally, perhaps, or to our family, to us as a church, Uh, to Living Rock Church, to Market Harbour as a town. There are those times when we're worshipping and and the Lord speaks to us, not with a voice we can hear, but deep in our spirit we know, because we're his children, it's him speaking and him telling us things. There are times when God speaks to us through what we see, through creation. There are times when God speaks to us through visions and dreams. You know, we need to have these things in the forefront of our minds. We need to write them down. We need to talk about them with one another. Uh, Caleb went to Joshua and said, remember. He didn't just remember it himself. We need to remember together and know together what God has said. If we're not sure, then we have elders and we have prophets among us to help us understand the word of the Lord and to weigh the words that come, and we need to use them. And... uh, you know, for ourselves personally, for ourselves as church, we need to remember what the Lord has promised. When the going gets tough, we need to know what God has said because it's immovable. It will take our weight. It will pull us up. That's our first 
Pete on our first foothold. Number two, Caleb, he lived ready. I love this in verse 10 and 11. In fact, I love it so much I'm going to read it again. Um, As you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for these 45 years. I'm 85 years old. And then he says, I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me out. I can still travel. I can still fight. I love his readiness. He acknowledged the Lord's hand in keeping him alive. Very much so. The Lord has kept me alive. It says elsewhere of this 40 years when the Israelites were wandering around the wilderness that God didn't allow their sandals to wear out or their clothes to wear out. The provision of the Lord was for Caleb every step of the way. But I believe he also kept himself ready when all around him were wandering aimlessly until they died. I believe Caleb kept himself strong. He kept himself alert. He kept himself fighting, practised. He was ready, strong, full of faith. And it says that he chose to live God's way. He could say, I followed God wholeheartedly, with my whole heart. You know, he gave priority to the fruit of faith. It was his faith in what God had said that kept him ready. You know, he could have indulged on the fruit of frustration. Why are we still going around this wilderness? He could have indulged himself on the fruit of criticism. They held me back. He could have indulged himself on just letting the years go by, the 10 years, the 20 years, the 30 years, and allowing it to foster unbelief. Did God really say Easily done, isn't it? I don't know if he ever had those moments. He may have done. But what we know is that when the time came, he was really ready. Physically and faith fully ready. And there's a need for us to be physically and faith fully ready for the purpose of God in our generation. I believe it's really important. And as I was preparing this, I just felt there were some questions I need to ask myself, ask ourselves. Uh, how big is our vision for what God is doing in Market Harbour, in my home, in my street, in my school, in our town? How much equipment are we going to need to store, lift, handle, manage, in order to provide for all sorts of ministry that is going to bless and reach out to our um, our nation. How many children God, is God going to give us to teach and nurture to see gifts released across nations? What will our financial resources need to be to provide for ministry, to provide for people who are poor and in need, to see poverty banished, to see well-being restored? How long do I need to stay healthy and strong to see this happen? What do I need to do now to prepare for all of this? I feel very challenged by this. It's um, something that's had an impact on me this year particularly. I don't want to be caught empty-handed, unable 
or too busy. I want to be ready, fit and active. I want to encourage you to check out um, uh, a preach on our podcast that Richard Pemberton brought in Stony Stanton in May. It's called Healthy Discipline. It's a real practical encouragement to be physically fit for the mission God has called us to. Uh, If you haven't had a listen, I encourage you, go and have a listen. I found it really helpful. But physical fitness needs to be matched with wholehearted following of God. With my whole heart, with my, the core of my being, with every passion, with every emotion, following Jesus. Waiting for the promise is not passive, it's active. And I want us to really grab hold of this. This is going to help us make progress. Pioneers don't go out without being fit and ready. They don't go out without having made preparations and provisions. This is um, really important for us. It's something to grab hold of, to live ready. The third thing is, uh, from Caleb's testimony, is to ask big. Verse 12, give me the hill country. In other translations, it says, give me this mountain. Can you hear him standing there? Give me this mountain. (laughs) I love it. It sounds so powerful. But he knew what God had promised. God had promised him the mountain. He'd promised him the hill country. He said, where you go and walk will be your land. You know, for Caleb, he wasn't going to be content with a little cottage and a neat picket fence just inside the border. You know, somewhere safe and secure. Oh no, I'll, um, uh, yeah, well, you know, it's, I suppose it could be tempting. I, well, I've retired and um, I am 85, you know. <laughs> oh no, I'll have that mountain range, please. Yeah, that big one. <laughs> you know, the one with the steep bits and the craggy rocks. The one the Lord promised me. I'll have that one. I walked all over it 45 years ago. It's my land. Yep. The one where uh, all those giant people live that scared off everyone else, I'll take them. Just as the Lord had said. That was his basis. He wasn't trusting his own strength. He trusted the word of the Lord. He wasn't being greedy or arrogant. This was faith speaking. It's sometimes possible to confuse um, faith and arrogance. God sees the heart. We don't always see the heart, but we need to look for it in one another when we're, when we're saying things, when we're doing things together. Faith speaks and asks big things. It speaks first about what God has done, what he has said he will do, and what he has said he will do through me and for me. That's faith speaking. You know, big requests in response to what God has promised honour a big God. I've been really challenged by this as well this week. If someone was to listen to my praying, how big would they think my God is? How big are my requests based on his word? There's a couple of verses in James 4 that are quite disturbing. Um, James 4, verse 2 and 3, James says to some uh, Christians he's writing to, you do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Ouch. He was um, writing that to some people in a particular situation. But if there's a possibility that with the right motives, I'm not receiving because I'm not asking, I want to make sure I ask. We know who God is, faithful, dependable, strong, loving, heavenly Father. Big requests honour a big God. You know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a big ask. Your kingdom come in Market Harbour, Lord. What does that mean for us to pray for the peace of God to be in Market Harbour in every place? to see health and healing brought to Market Harbour and well-being, to see righteousness in our schools, in our streets, in our council offices, to see justice brought to all, to see oppression <coughs> vanish. What does that mean absolutely personally for me and my family? What does it mean for my neighbour who's sick? What does it mean for our children in our school and their friends? Pioneers who remember what God has promised live ready to receive it and ask big things of a big, big God. Let's move on. We're going to read a little bit more in Joshua and find out what happened next. So Joshua 14, verses 13 and 14 say this. Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And into chapter 15, verse 13 and 14. The Lord commanded Joshua to assign some of Judah's territory to Caleb, son of Jephunneh. So Caleb was given the town of Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, which had been named after Anak's ancestor, Caleb drove out the three groups of Anakites, the descendants of Sheshai, Ahiman, and Telmai, the son of Anak. Our fourth piton to grab hold of and rest our weight upon is this, possess the promises. Yeah, I've been really struck as we read through Joshua, you kind of get this phrase over and over and over again. It's in Deuteronomy as well. The Lord says, I'm giving you the land that you are to go in and possess. I'm giving you the land, but you are to go in and possess it. It's not just enough to be in the land, Caleb. I've said you're going to have the hill country. You need to go in and possess it. Very practically for Caleb, he had to go into the land, that bit of the land, and he had to drive out the people who were there. Uh, By the way, Caleb was not trespassing on their land. It was his land. It was God's land, and God had given it to him. And I think there's something in this for us to consider. Um, When we come to Jesus and are saved, we ask him to forgive us, we turn away from sin and we live for him, make him Lord and Master of our life. There's a sense in which we've come in to the promised land. We are saved. We uh, share in uh, all he's done for us, um, we come into the territory of thousands of promises in the Bible. 
we come into the territory of his kingdom. Uh, it's, we're in the land. But there are some things for us within that, of all that God has promised us, of all that he has done through Jesus, that um, we still need to take hold of to receive the full portion of what God has said and what God has promised. That word possess um, in the Hebrew had a dual meaning. It did mean to inherit, to possess, but it also meant to dispossess, to destroy or to drive out. Um, Back in Deuteronomy, before they went into the land, God had said that he was going to bless them in the land. He'd said, I'm going to give you the land, but he also said, in the land, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to make your crops big. Your bread baskets and fruit baskets are going to be enormous. I'm going to make your herds multiply. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. But they had to get to the places in the land where they were going to receive that. They had to possess that land and for Caleb he had to dispossess what was already there in order to be able to receive the fullness of what God had promised him and I think it's true for us as well I'm not talking about driving out people or other tribes no but there is there are many examples in the Bible where we are encouraged to drive things out Colossians 3 verse 5 put to death the sinful things lurking within you. It's written to Christians. That's a real challenge for us. When we're baptised, we um, have the past cut off from us and it says in the scripture that we're no longer under obligation to sin. Um, That doesn't mean we never sin, but it means it doesn't have power over me. But there are times when I need to remember that word. You're not obliged to sin anymore. And I need to put to death those sinful things that lurk in the quiet places, in the dark corners, things no one else knows about. We need to put it to death. Fear and anxiety. You know, Jesus bequeathed peace to his disciples before he died. It was his, his bequest to them. And uh, we read in Philippians 4, don't we? Paul's encouragement to don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry about a thing. Pray about everything. Thank God for what you have and you will receive peace that will surpass everything. And the next verse says, fix your um, minds on good things and keep doing it. We often forget that bit when we talk about uh, how to have peace. Um, Peace is part of the fullness of the promise of God for us. And, and we could talk about this a lot more and I won't do this now, but where fear and anxiety have a stronghold, it needs to be dispossessed. It needs to be driven out um, because uh, there is peace for us in all that Jesus has done. You know, fear of people, unbelief, are the things that need to be driven out for us to make progress with what God has for us. It was the downfall of the entire generation, except Joshua and Caleb. What we do with what God has said will enable us to take down strongholds and possess the promises. Ephesians 6, though, goes on further. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Ephesians 6, um, from verse 10. 
Paul writes this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That sounds like Joshua, doesn't it? Be strong and courageous. This is how we do it. Put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There are things to dispossess, to destroy, to drive out. And this um, is a real uh, important thing for us. In verse 17, Paul says, he's described the armour of God, and then he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. And uh, this is a really important part of possessing the promises of God, is knowing what they are, remembering what the Lord said, point one. But then actually taking that, and with the Holy Spirit's help, wielding that as a sword, and taking those promises. It's really, really important. You know, elsewhere in Joshua, Joshua encourages other tribes to take possession of the farthest corners of their land. Don't just dip your toe in. Make sure you have possession of everything God has promised. For other tribes, he needed to bring a provocation. He asked them, how long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord has given you? I think we need to receive both the provocation and the encouragement to actually be active and pursue what God has said. This is really, really crucial. I keep saying that, but uh, that's my testimony and my belief. Take out the word God has spoken with the Holy Spirit's help, wield it against everything that would stand yeah. against, against God's word yeah. and pray. Yeah. We do this individually and we do it together. Mm-hmm. Our prayer meetings together are absolutely vital. Mm-hmm. That's where this happens, where together we take the word of God and we wage war with it. Yeah. It's also absolutely vital personally And certainly there are times when I know what God has spoken over our family. I've looked at the situation. It doesn't meet up with what God has said. And I've known I've needed to take out that word. I needed to declare it over the situation. I needed to to declare it to any principality and power that's standing against it. And I need to pray. And I need to take it back to God and say, but Lord, you've said this. Look at the situation. The situation must change because your word is true. Yeah. Your word does not fail. Amen. Amen. Um, and I have seen personal situations change within minutes. They didn't change when I spoke necessarily, but there came a time not long after when they changed in minutes. Complete turnaround. It's so important, you know, with, with this, we can, put all on our weight, we can put all our weight on it, we can rely on it 
what God has said. Without it, we risk falling. With it, we will scale the heights. And we'll scale the heights not only for ourselves, but for our families, for our neighbours, for our town. Pioneers destroy the strongholds that stand against the kingdom of God in order to possess the fullness of all God has promised. But it's not just for us. Somebody once said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. When we take a step and place our feet on the promise of God and we do battle with that word until we see it, it becomes ground not just for us, but for many others. The word of God to me and my family becomes a word of God to you and your families and to our church and to our town. Let's read what happens next. Joshua 15. And this, we'll get to our final point. Joshua 15, verse 15. I'm just going to read a few verses here. From there, so that's from the place where Caleb had just driven out all these big people. He went on to fight against the people living in the town of Debeir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Axel in marriage to the one who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, the son of Caleb's brother Kenaz, was the one who conquered it, so Axel became Othniel's wife. When Axel married Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. As she got down off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What's the matter? She said, Give me another gift. You have already given me land in the Negev. Now please give me springs of water too. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. Axel, Caleb's daughter. I'd never heard of her before. I'm so glad I have now. You know, she must have grown up with the stories of the promised land ringing in her ears. Can you imagine the dinner time stories around the table? You should have seen the size of the grapes. Oh, the pomegranates. They were so juicy. I had it running down my beard. Oh, it was wonderful. All these promised blessings yet to come. I wonder if she also heard the cries of disappointment, the agony of the waiting, the prayers of faith from her father and his instruction. Axel, remember what the Lord promised. Don't forget. Don't give up. But Dad... Are we nearly there yet? How long is it going to be? I'm tired of this manner. Oh, and can I taste a pomegranate? You can imagine it, can't you? Well, I can anyway. But now here she was. She was standing in the promised land. Finally, her family in possession of what God promised. And, uh, oh, she was even married to Othniel, the latest conquering hero of the victory in the promised land. And she was given her own land in the Negev. But point five is this. Caleb's pioneering example of faith in what God had said had inspired a generation. And this is really, really important for us as well. I keep saying everything is really important, but I'm probably biased. It is. Yes, thank you, Maria. Um, So this is something to grab hold of. 
Caleb's faith in the word of God inspired generations and it left a legacy. And here was Axor. She had seen her father. She knew her father. She knew what God had said and she made her own big request. You know, right back when God had promised Caleb the land, and we read it right at the beginning, he had promised that Caleb's descendants will possess their full share. They will possess their full share. So she gets down off her donkey. She humbles herself. And she asks her father for more. More? Axel, you're already in the promised land. You've just married a conquering hero and you've been given land in the Negev. (laughs) Why do you want more? (laughs) The Negev was dry land. Not great for crops, I guess, from that perspective. Not great for your fruit baskets and your bread and your herds. But she knew what God had promised, that God's blessing to them in the land was that their children would prosper, their crops would prosper, their fruit would be great, their herds would be vast. So she asked for more because she asked for that which would bring the life, fruitfulness and abundance from the land that God had promised. She was her father's daughter. She asked for more. And it was not only for her, but it was going to be for her and her children and generations following. Springs of water. And isn't it wonderful that as a good father, Caleb gave her both the upper and the lower springs of water, more than she asked for. And so inspired by a true pioneer, AXA herself was now opening up new ground, new provision for others to live in for generations. She had the boldness and the confidence to ask for more. You know... um, Peter in Acts 2, verse 39, talking of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, said this, the promise of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children, to all whom the Lord your God will call. It's no coincidence that we've heard testimonies this morning from Linda and from Becky about your children. But there's a provocation from the Holy Spirit, from, the, from God this morning to us, to ask for more. Amen. To ask for more of the Holy Spirit's filling, equipping, empowering into every corner of our lives. That we will see the fruitfulness and abundance of all of the promises of God for ourselves for our families, for our town, for our neighbourhoods. It's a provocation. I spent quite a long time not daring to ask for more when it came to the Holy Spirit. I was afraid of what would happen if I did. I also found myself thinking I didn't dare. Why, how can I ask for more? God's already done so much for me. But there's a provocation for us to ask for more. We're not being greedy. Uh, We're not being arrogant. We're not being ungrateful for what we have. We know we have a good, good father who's promised to give good things to his children. 
we've read in the Bible where Jesus stood up and said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink, and rivers of living water will throw, flow through him. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, I want to really encourage us to take hold of this and to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be key in our progress. It's key for our families. Uh, If we have, I just think the word of the Lord is so clear to us today. If we have our own children who are not following the Lord, if we have children who once did but are drifting, we need to remember the word of the Lord. The promise is to us and our children. And we need to pick that up and wage war with it and go back to God with that word. Because it is for us and our children. And there's a fullness of that promise for us to possess, for, for us to see come to fruition. And um, I'll stand with you and pray <laughs> for your children Amen. until we see them. Amen. What a legacy Caleb had. <laughs> Amazing. What a daughter. And it's just interesting to me, a couple of other things. I can't leave these out, although I know our time has gone. The re- about other parts of his legacy... So Othniel, his son-in-law, we read about him again in Judges 3. He becomes the first judge of Israel. So when Israel forget the Lord and all his goodness and go off on their own ways, Othniel is given to the people by God to rescue them and set them free from their enemies. He becomes a rescuer and deliverer of God's people. That reminds me of Jesus. Hebron, Caleb's city became what was called a city of refuge. Um, I'm not going to read this now, but if you look in Joshua 20, read about these places that God specified. They were places that people could run to when they knew of their sin so that they could have refuge and, and have fair justice. The places, the promises that we take are our ground become places of refuge for other people and places of justice and primarily places where people meet Jesus and face fair justice. These are really important things for us. Hebron's um, Caleb city also went on to become a city for priests and a city of kings. What a legacy. A legacy in his daughter, a legacy in his son-in-law, a legacy in his city. And I believe that we will see the church of Jesus grow and be established because we pioneer. That we will be a refuge for the sick, for those who are hurting, those who are oppressed, those in need. And that we will be in full possession of all we need to minister So I just want to encourage us with these final words from Paul, who must be one of the greatest pioneers ever. This is what he says um, on the next slide. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Press on. Take hold. Isn't it wonderful to know that we've been taken hold of by Jesus? 
for a great purpose. That we've been embraced by him, strengthened, identified with him, dignified by him, taken hold of by him. Wonderful to know that we have been fueled with the ultimate power of the Holy Spirit to pioneer, to prepare the way for others to follow, to possess the full share of the promises and purpose of God and to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, to see God's kingdom come in Market Harbour, in East Langton, in Desborough, as it is in heaven. Take hold. Let's remember what the Lord promised. Let's live ready. Let's ask big. Let's possess the promises. And in so doing, inspire generations and leave a legacy. Amen. Shall we just pray together as we finish? Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that in your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we have everything we need for your purpose. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you will um, drive in deep that which is going to help us progress in our pioneering in Market Harbour. Lord, I want to pray specifically for our children, that we will see them saved, baptised in water, baptised in the Holy Spirit, and leaving their own legacy. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.